Welcome to the Living Room Disciple Podcast. I can't wait for you all to meet Dr. Heather Thompson Day, our guest on this podcast episode today. And she's here to help us understand how to have controversial conversations uh, as we enter into the Christmas season, where we're going to be rubbing shoulders with family members that maybe we don't usually talk to. Uh, She is well-versed in this, especially in communication. She's an associate professor of communication at Andrews University. She's the author of eight books, including It's Not Your Turn and I'll See You Tomorrow. Of course, links for those will be in the show notes. And I'm just incredibly blessed by the way and the perspective that she brought to our conversation today. And so without further ado, we're going to jump in. Uh, Side note, find out more about us on livingroomdisciple.com, especially about how to support us on Patreon. That would be a huge help. So thank you so much for joining the Living Room Disciple podcast with me today, where discipleship finds a home. Heather, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. What an honor. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you here and especially to learn from you. So uh, me and Nick, we're taking some time to plan some of our episodes through this holiday season, as indicated by the Christmas lights behind me. And one of the the toughest elements of the the holiday season, Thanksgiving, Christmas, for I think a lot of people around uh, America, at least, probably elsewhere is some of the difficult conversations that come up on the the dinner table. And so we were kind of talking about, man, how do we, uh, you know, help our audience be formed in a way to handle those conversations well? And me and Nick looked at each other, another, and we knew we were not the ones to handle that conversation. And he immediately thought of you because of the work that you've done in the past as it relates to communication. And so would you tell us just a little bit about your background in that area and um, the work you're doing now? Yeah. So I have been teaching communication for, I don't know, definitely over a decade at Mm -hmm. this point and um, been studying it academically for, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 years, something like that. Um, So I'm really passionate. Communication is essentially the study of relationship building. How do we build Mm -hmm. relationships between organizations and the target markets that those organizations are trying to reach? Mm-hmm. And so I'm really passionate about people. I'm really passionate mm-hmm. about relationships. And so I love apps. I love this work of helping people just have healthy, positive relationships with one another. Yay. And, you know, I'm reading through First John in my own kind of like personal devotional. And so if if you're familiar with that letter and if our audience is like, it's just a letter that's riddled with the command to love one another. Yeah. And it's interesting to me how loving is not only expressed through communication, but it's primarily, I think, expressed through communication with one another. And in one sense, I think that's what we we idealistically think the season of life, you know, in the winter time, in the holiday time, we should have this in this hallmark world, you know what I mean? Yeah. Where like every story lasts 90 minutes and ends like with just like happy tears, you know? Yeah. Because we just are loving one another so much. And yeah, I was just reading uh um, some blog, I, I can't remember if it's a, a study or if it was someone's opinion, but talking about w- one of the biggest factors in, in um, people making decisions about where they spend the holidays is related to the past conversations they've had over the last few years. You know, So if you've had difficult family conversations around politics, uh, COVID, public policy, those types of things that have created such deep divisions, you're less likely maybe to go to your mother-in-law's house for yeah. Christmas dinner. And it, it's interesting to me because, you know, as believers, I, I doubt that we 
um, are operating statistically different than the rest of our environment, at least anecdotally from my life. Mm. And so as you said, okay, communication is, define that for me again. You said it's relationship. It's relationship building. And I I actually want to, since you brought up the gospel, I mean, so I'm a Trinitarian. I believe in the Trinity. Mm -hmm. So God does not exist outside of relationship, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which seems, it seems crucial (laughs) to remember. Um, And actually the command, the covenant that was given is to love God, first four commandments, Mm -hmm. and love each other, last six. Love God, love each other. So relationship is something that I don't, I think Christians are required. It's Mm -hmm. not optional to figure out. Your relationship with God is only as strong as your relationships with each other. Mm -hmm. It is Jesus who says, what good is it to love those who love you? Even sinners do that, right? So how do we figure out how to have, I mean, can we, if we can't figure out how to sit down at Thanksgiving or Christmas with family who disagrees with me politically, I think we're pretty far off our mark at yeah, that point. But Heather, if they love Jesus, they wouldn't have voted for that person. <laughs> yeah. But so I, I, guess, <laughs> I think for me, for me, and, and I'll just share this with the listeners, yeah. what has really helped me with being with people who are very different than me is mm-hmm. something called social judgment theory. And oh, social judgment okay. theory essentially says that all, all of our judgments are actually made socially. Hmm. So any person, including myself, if we were surrounded mm. in different social environments, we would probably have very different opinions. And they've mm. they've studied this multiple times. They've yeah. given um, like a set a, a new law to a room full of Republicans, um, and it was like the most uh, liberal welfare policy that could ever be. Way more liberal than any policy that's actually written on the books. Sure. And when you tell Republicans that ninety percent of other Republicans voted for this really liberal welfare oh. policy, then they agree with it. And it's mm-hmm. not that this is a Republican thing because you do the same thing with liberals. If you tell mm-hmm. liberals that ninety percent of other liberals agree with this really stringent welfare policy, suddenly they now agree with it. Our, yeah. We are wired and created to be social people. And so we actually create our judgments based on the social networks and systems that we're a part of. Is that related to groupthink? Not so much, right? Okay. So they say if you were to read like Invisible Influence by Jonah Berger, he says that like the most individual decision that you make is the brand of your toothpaste because it's something that nobody else sees. Right. But really, even that is probably what you've seen your parents use. Like almost every decision, it's not just groupthink, it's that they're actually deeply. (laughs) I use um, Arm and Hammer. Well, now I might switch. Yeah. And it's because my father in law (laughs) uses it. It it like tastes like baking soda, which makes me think it's like cleaner or something. But all of our decisions are often made by something that we've experienced and seen socially. So for me, when I come across somebody who believes something that I think, how could they ever believe that? I think, well, probably has something to do with their social Mm. network. And if they were in a different social network, they may not hold so strongly to those beliefs. So am I upset Mm. with like this person? Or am I upset with the social network or the system or the ideology? See what I'm saying? And it allows yeah. my brain to create distance. Well, it, it's almost like pulling back the curtain just a little bit yes. on like how we get to where the, the to the the conclusions that we came to, right? Whether it's politically related, religiously related, or or whatever else it is. Though I do have a question about this in just a moment. Um, it, 
as you pull back the curtain, it feels less malicious and more of kind of like just a byproduct of life. And I think a lot of our decisions kind of are. Well, and that raises a question, okay. um, you know, theologically, doctrinally. And, and I think this is one that I hear quite a bit. Um, you know, I work in a Christian organization. I, you know, spent the last decade and a half of my life kind of, you know, knee deep, waist deep, you know, in church culture and, and churches. And so I think a lot of people's reaction to what you just said would be, well, the gospel or the Bible gives me objective truth that isn't connected to what society thinks. Does that make sense? Mm. And I think that's where somebody might say, you know, I, I hold this political belief or I hold this belief over here in regards to whatever it is, you know, uh, sexuality or whatever, because of, of the Bible. And they would hold up the Bible as a disproof to what you just said. Now, how would you respond to someone or walk someone through understanding how we might even bring some of that social influence into our reading of scripture? Well, you have, because walk into another denomination. I mean, that's, you know what I mean? Like there are hundreds and hundreds, thousands of denominations Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. read, the Bible was written for you. It wasn't written to you. That's Mm -hmm. by John Walton. Mm -hmm. Um, So every time we enter into the Bible, Mm -hmm. we're actually entering into Mm -hmm. a cross-cultural experience Mm -hmm. that is not has nothing almost to do yeah. with the world that we engage in today, yeah. right? So we are mm-hmm. just let's just look at something as simple. I mean, so much of scripture itself, because we're reading it in a language it was never even mm-hmm. spoken in, is yep. interpretation. Mm-hmm. Of course, like the words mm-hmm. that we're reading mm-hmm. is an interpretation. The Ten Commandments. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. nowhere in scripture that says the Ten Commandments. You won't find it. It's mm-hmm. actually the 10 words. That mm-hmm, was an interpretive mm-hmm. decision that was made to call it the 10 commandments. How does that yep. change the way you view it? Does it change yep. the way you view it? So to those mm. things, I say, e- even scripture, I mean, everything yeah. is very much about who's telling you this is the way this is supposed to be interpreted. This mm. is what this means. This reminds me of our conversation with Dr. Randy Richards. He's the author of Misreading Scripture Through yes! Western Eyes. Yeah. yeah oh, great I love guy. all of their I, so I've talked so to good. Brandon J. O'Brien. Oh, okay. I love Brandon. I, I've had him on my show and I've read several of their books. Paul mm-hmm. Behaving Badly, Misreading Scripture Through mm-hmm. Western Eyes. I feel like there was one more that they did that I read, but great, great stuff. We have a giveaway coming up for Paul behaving badly for all of our listeners. Heads up. Yeah, so I'm enjoy, really excited. Signed friends. copy of it. So I'm really excited. You guys, it is so good. Sign <laughs> up for that giveaway. I really enjoyed that book. So, um, and, and so it, it raises, okay, so I can already hear, because I've heard this before in response to just some other conversations I've had related to that, that podcast. And the question becomes, then how can I know what is truth? Yeah, your posture. Tell me about that. Explain that a little more. So righteousness, tzedakah, is about right relationship, again, with God and each other. It always goes back to this covenant, Mm. love God, love each other. So to me, it becomes less about, I mean, believe, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be convicted on whatever doctrine you're convicted on. Sure, sure, sure. Yes, have your convictions. Live within your fold. There's protection. And Paul says that, you know. Yeah. There is protection for the sheep to be in their fold, okay? Mm -hmm. But there's multiple folds. There's mm-hmm. one shepherd, multiple folds. Mm, um, okay. Stay within your fold. Be encouraged by your fold. I think all of that is fine. What you must keep as a Christian is right relationship with people mm. in other folds. How do you keep the right posture of respect and love and humility towards mm-hmm. others? That 
only comes. I mean, it, so when they say to Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And of course, he says to love the mm-hmm. Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Again, love God, love man. Mm-hmm. What comes first? The order is intentional. Love yeah. God. And mm-hmm. when we are in right relationship with God, it is actually what transforms our character to be able to be mm-hmm. in right relationship with each other. It kind of reminds me of this idea of like walking in truth versus just understanding truth. And this is really important, I think, too, to even how I think about those dinner table conversations that, um, you know, across the table for me as someone who's also metaphorically across the table for me. And I think what I'm learning more as I'm getting older, although I know there's nuance to this, is that I'm more likely, quote unquote, right when I'm demonstrating right behavior. Like I'm more likely to be inside of the will of God and inside of uh, that truth when out of me pours the fruit of the spirit and out from me pours patience and kindness and faith. But the problem is, Heather, they're destroying our nation. Yeah. That other they, side. They. 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 It's always they. Yeah. But, and and I'm, I'm not trying to be quaint. I'm really trying to be serious. I think that we have a lot of people who, they, there's a genuine struggle of feeling like if I don't, if I don't, I want to use words that really respect their maybe perspectives. If I don't address this issue, then this person's going to walk in darkness or this person's going to be a part of the deterioration of our society or this, and you know what I'm saying? How do we, how do we encourage someone to be at that dinner table to hear that 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 statement that irks you, that like just like hurts something in your soul and really just stands in every, you know in disagreement with everything, and then respond with patience and kindness? Like how do we? You get where I'm going with this, and this yeah. is where I feel like I fail in my own wisdom because I have no idea what to say here. I th- I just I think things get easier honestly like the closer we become it is very i most feel that within myself when i'm online or when i'm mm. distant when i'm watching the news when mm. when when people's ideology feels very distant to my proximity in general and because i i teach so i'm around hundreds of of people mm-hmm. every single day mm-hmm. and that's what always reminds me that like the image of God is actually able to be seen in people because I'm around them. And mm. when I'm sitting with them and having conversations and I'm, I can be with students who think totally different things than me. Yeah. But when we're sitting down and we're having conversation and I'm hearing their heart or I'm hearing their worries or I hear their fears, they become a human being, mm. which for me, I'm not saying that maybe this isn't true for everybody. For me, sure. That allows me to say, how do I continue in the right posture with Mm. this person who I think is so wrong? And also what has been so helpful for me is that I have changed so much in my own thinking. Yeah. And God was always so kind. It is. When I think back, this could make me cry. When I think back on how quick I've been to be judgmental. Um, of somebody else's faith, or you're not a real mm. Christian. I mean, those are thoughts that I have thought. Yeah. And then when I think about how kind and gentle and patient and loving God has been with me, mm. it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. I promise you, your goodness will not dissuade other people from walking in light. It will only mm. invite them in, right? Just, mm. Like even, and here's what I'm going to say too, 
be then an example of somebody who thinks totally different than they do, but was still kind and respectful in how they approach the topic. Let let them have an example of what that even looks like. I'm not saying you have to change your opinions or even that you have to hide them, although I think sometimes it's okay to not share everything that you think. Sure. Um, be an example to them of somebody who thinks totally differently than them, but still says, I love you and I respect you and I see you as a person. Mm. And this thing for me is not going to divide our relationship. It, it really does mean to, to do that. You have to hold the mental posture that person matters more than the issue at hand. And I think that becomes difficult. And one of the things I was thinking about is you're talking about those kind of emotions come more frequently when you're at distance, you're watching the news, you're online. And I I wonder how often we, many of us live our lives exclusively in that setting for extended periods of time. Mm. And then we all just come together. Not, you know, we have environments in which you take, um, I'm going to use maybe a stereotypical or classical example where you get these parents who are watching this one type of news and, and having this one type of online echo chamber. Then they're, uh, son who lives across the country is watching this other news channel and living in this particular, you know, uh, uh, political echo chamber. And then neither one of them are making a habit throughout the course of the year to be in the presence of people who disagree with them or maybe have different perspectives. They don't get the practice of empathy and viewing people mm. as people. Mm. And then they come together and it's like, you, it just all comes out is, and, and I, I don't know if I'm, really reference, I'm referencing an imaginary situation in my brain. So yeah. <laughs> I don't know if this is common or if anybody out there is relating to that. Um, so it, it seems like some good advice might be to before that Christmas dinner or that Thanksgiving dinner to have a habit of your life of being in relationship <laughs> with people. Yeah. But uh, yeah. And being in relationship with God, because it is actually mm-hmm. God that transforms our character. You know, are we spending time before we walk into that Christmas dinner with our face on the floor before mm. the Lord. I mean, to me, mm-hmm. that is a vi- – I will not – this is a rule I made for myself like 10 years ago. I will not stand in front of my students if I haven't spent time with the Lord first. I, you will never catch me in a classroom wow. teaching if I haven't had worship. And that's mm. because I really think the order matters. When I pursue and love the Lord, I am more able to love the person next to me. I, I just think that's mm. how it works. God yeah. is what transforms our character. The power of the spirit is what transforms mm. our character. Are we taking time as people to be in the solitude and the presence of the Lord? Mm. And I also want to say this. So before you have a crucial conversation, this is just a communication compassionate technique. You're supposed to think to yourself, what are three things? So you actually prime your brain in the positive. Okay. What are three things before I go to this person who is really bothering me? What are yeah. three things I actually do like about this person? And make you have to say it out loud to your brain because your brain is very sensitive. Say it out loud. Mm. Okay, I actually think that this person is really sincere. I Mm. do believe that this person really loves God and loves their church and is trying Mm. to make a better humanity. I do believe that this person um, is is trying to do the right thing. Right. Mm. Say that Mm -hmm. out loud to yourself, and then walk into that dinner table. Mm. And you, you should, what should happen is your even like your nonverbal, your body gestures are going to be more open, which should change the setting of the conversation in general. I'm imagining someone doing this like in the airport bathroom. Before, yeah. You know? Yeah. Right. Before you it. get in the, uh, I think that's such a beautiful idea and it's, and it's a way to, 
again, as I'm growing older, I'm realizing the connection between our physical bodies and our spirit- oh, spiritual being. Man. And it's a way of like teaching your uh, mind and aligning your spirit using your physical body, which I think is the importance, for example, of worship, right? It's the reason that we stand up, many of us. It's the reason that we sing aloud. It's the reason that we might put our hands up. It it orders our body to be in a posture that yeah. kind of like puts my spirit in that. And, and it's kind of like doing the same thing. It's taking a moment of kind of like preemptively correcting and eliminating to some extent that sin nature by uh, doing what Paul said, is it in Philippians, where he's like just dwelling on what's good, what's good yeah. in this person and, and bringing um, and, and thinking about that to bring it to the, I'm going to use that for the record. I really hope you do. I, I d- am, I, I, not everybody agrees with me on this and I don't think, I, please don't at me. I'm not saying that this is true hundred percent of the time, but I have found in my own experience, I'm just speaking to my experience. Sure. I have found in my experience that people tend to reflect what you already believe to be true about them. Mm. So there's a theory called the looking glass self in communication. Mm -hmm. It's by Sidney J. Harris. And he says, um, we each become a giant looking glass, a mirror Mm. to the other person that we're talking to. And so when I talk to you and I treat you as if you are worthy, and you are humble, Mm. and you are loving, and that comes through in the way I communicate with you, you then become those things. Mm. And I have found Mm. as a teacher, I'm not saying this is always true. There are people Mm -hmm. who will manipulate you. There are people who will abuse your kindness. Yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. In general, though, I don't think most people are that way. Mm -hmm. I think most people are trying to do the best they can with the tools they have. And when we reveal to them an image of themselves, that is positive, they want to mm. live up to it, mm-hmm. even in how they deal with you. Let me run a strategy by you that I've been kind of using, and it, it relates a little bit to something you just said. Sometimes what I do is I think about what the worst case scenario is, like someone abusing my kindness, you know? And and I kind of preemptively walk through what if that worst thing did happen. And one of the things that often happens is because I imagine this person, uh, you know, unfriends me or this person, you know, uh, storms out of my home or this person kicks me out of theirs. I don't know, whatever it is, you know. Um, and and I often think to myself that like, there's this element of um, if, if I'm responding in kindness and in love, even if the worst thing happens, aren't, isn't that an element of suffering with Christ? You know, if, mm. if I'm modeling his behavior and I receive treatment that is not at that level, but similar to in spirit, the type of treatment he received, that's a, that's a good thing, right? And isn't this what Paul talked about? Like, you know, if you're going to, if bad's going to come to you, I'm trying to remember the exact language, let it be because of your good deeds and not, not because yeah. you deserved it because you did something bad. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Is that yeah, like I, a good kind of system of thought? I was talking to Scott McKnight recently and he said, I, I have- I, this For the just, record, I was thinking in my head just now that- Were you thinking of Scott McKnight? Yes. I actually thought that like, <laughs> this reminds me of my conversation with Scott McKnight, like just the way <gasps> yes! that you kind of teach. Okay. I love it. Okay, go on. What he said recently was, it's, it's in his book, Revelation for the Rest of Us. He yes. says, um, the dragon tries to win by inflicting suffering, but the lamb wins by yes. accepting it. Mm. And so mm. the question that we always have to ask ourselves are, are we walking in the way of the dragon or are we walking in the way of the mm. lamb? And remember, the lamb is always going to be counter-cultural yeah. to what everybody else is telling us we should be doing in mm. the world. 
right? Mm -hmm. And so that alone has yeah. changed the way I see these things because, yes, mm -hmm. if, if the worst thing that happens is somebody else rejects whatever it is I'm trying to, my relationship, yeah. I've had to be okay with saying, well, is my heart, at least as far as I know, Lord, is my heart in the right place? Do I yeah. feel like I've treated them kindly? Is there anything I can apologize for? Mm. Then that's all I can control. Yeah. I can't control whether or not somebody wants to be in relationship with me. I can mm. just control how I am presenting myself before man and the Lord. And so that's mm. it, you know? Yeah. And we won't stand in judgment for how somebody responds to right. our kindness and love. We'll stand in judgment for how we responded in love or not to, to someone else. Can I, let mm. me tell you a story, Phil. This is this mm. kind yeah. of, I'm ready. so I was teaching a class at Purdue um, and the class, it was a small group communication class for engineering students. So most of these people were very math and science mm -hmm. oriented, secular school. And we were going to play a game that I had created called Black, White, and Gray. If you, I was going to read controversial statements. And if you fully agreed with the statement, you'd stand on the black side. If you disagreed, you'd stand on the white side. If you were neutral, you'd stand on the gray. And oh, then wow. it became the, the goal of the people on each side to try to work together as a team to convince whoever was in the middle that theirs was actually actually the correct judgment, oh, right? Okay. So I had different yeah. types of controversial statements. And one of them that I put in there at the secular school was, I believe in an intelligent designer. And mm. I was even being like, I felt like I was being very progressive and even saying intelligent designer instead yeah. of God, right? I was yeah, trying yeah. to make way for these science sure. students to be like, maybe, okay, to my dismay, the entire room went to stand on the side that said, I really? don't believe in intelligence. The, the entire room. room. And I'm talking oh, like 35 huh. students. They're wow. math and science students though. They all go sure. to the other side of the room with the exception of like one person who stood in the gray. And I said to the Lord, immediately I said, Lord, I have just created a situation in this classroom where now all of these students are going to argue and, and make the case to the student in the center that there is no God. Oh my goodness, what have, what I, have I done? done? I oh, never gosh. thought that would, it didn't even occur to me that there wouldn't be one person that believed in God. This is my, obviously like a reflection of my small town environment. So they they make this case. One of the students, his name was Adam. He starts he, he speaks for them and he says, you know, if God is real, he is misogynistic, he is mm. homophobic, he is racist, all these things. And he says, I grew up sure. a Christian. I know what these people teach. It, it I am telling you, blah 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 blah. I've read the Bible. He shares all these things. The student moves over from the gray over to that side, saying there is no intelligence design. And I was thinking to myself, do I say something? And I felt very strongly the Holy Spirit say, don't say anything. Mm. And so I didn't. And I went on with the class. Okay. Throughout the rest of that semester, this particular student would stay after class and talk to me. He was dating mm. somebody. So he would ask for advice on different things in their relationship. Then he was sure. going to get engaged and he'd ask me for advice on that. I, the student knew I was a Christian because he knew I wrote Christian books, but I uh, never talked about my theology. I never gave a Bible mm -mm. study. I didn't share any of my books with him. On the last day of class, this is true. The last day of class, it was like a movie, like an episode of The Wonder Years. Everybody is walking out and he walks up to me and he says, hey, I just want you to know, Dr. Day, if there is a God, I do hope it's yours. And he walks out of the mm. room. And that was a moment hmm. to me to, hmm. as a reminder, again, that really, truly, and I know Christians say this, but I just want whoever's listening to hear it. It is not our job to convict. Hmm. 
It is the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It is our job to live our lives, right, as true as we possibly can to the light that's been given to us and to reflect that light to others. And I, my, my new mm-hmm. goal is to live a life where other people can say, hey, I don't know if there's a God, but if there is, man, I hope it's hers. Yeah. Isn't that what we should all want? Mm-hmm. And, and there's the beauty of like the moment in which you chose to be slow to speak. Yes, right? which is not you know? my personality, Phil. I need you to understand, especially back then. I mean, more so oh, now. Man. That's not so weird. But this is like sure. seven years ago. I was not a zealot, but it, it was. I I screamed at like some of my best friends at Chili's for saying there oh, wasn't. I mean, we we were sobbing at a Chili's over buffalo wings over belief whether or not there was a god or whether or not there Whoa. was hell. I mean, it yeah. was in my bones. I felt mm-hmm. like this is wrong. You're going to go to yeah. hell if I don't tell you. I mean, I really yeah. believed that. I'm tracking with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so for me to be quiet, I am telling you, it is mm-hmm. only because of the Holy Spirit that I was quiet because it's not my natural personality. It It's something that like, I think a lot of us at some point in our walk with Jesus, we start to wonder, are we doing church authentically in relation to like the first century Christians? Many mm-hmm. of us, we have the book of Acts moment, right? We're reading the book of Acts and we're like, why doesn't? the mega church I go to feel like this or the small town church I go to feel like this and, and all the moments. And um, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of health there and, and not to, to take our conversation there exactly. But one of the things I, I've been thinking about a lot is kind of trying to understand what evangelism looked like mm. in the first century church. A lot of us think of Pentecost, but that, that was pre-church persecution. Mm. And historically, we, we were kind of understanding to some extent and, and it varied depending on the town and those kind of things. But in the heart of Rome, um, Christians did not invite their neighbors to church, right? Your neighbor might get you all killed. Um, and instead, people became believers, we believe, to some extent, at least as a pattern, because somebody would live in a very yes. different way than everybody else in their community. And it was a very communal culture, which is different than ours and all the things. Right. But still, you were close enough to see someone like you're faithful to your spouse. And again, in that culture, that would have been a, a really standout kind of behavior, right? Right. You you went and got that child outside of the city and brought them and now you're raising this like like yeah. physically impaired child in your home that makes no sense. And all these different behaviors that were so countercultural. And eventually I would imagine at some point you feel comfortable or you take the risk, I should say, in inviting that person to a larger community of believers. But it began not with the preaching, but it began with a, a level of behavior that is so different from the culture. It is it is attractive in the way that Jesus was attractive. And I think that we need to understand what that looks like in 2023. It's something I'm still wrestling with. But part of it looks like, at least in part, it looks like communication. And what I mean by that is, we're living in a world right now where more so than ever, the people that we're going to gather around the dinner, you know, dinner table at Christmas, outside of that environment, statistically speaking, they're probably very lonely. Mm. And the, I think oftentimes a better way, you know, rather than convincing them or, or, or having an agenda that we want to relay. Yes, which relay, is so hard not to do. The most Christian thing we can do, the healing of the leper in 2023 is the making someone feel seen and heard and valued and not alone. And 
Um, I, I, I guess I'm really changing the top of our conversation just a little bit, but I'm really curious. <laughs> but I love it. <laughs> Dr. Day, like, uh, Heather, how do you, how do you build relationships with people in our current cultural moment when it feels like loneliness, depression, and anxiety are at their, their height? Okay. Here's what I would say. Think small. It can be very overwhelming <clears throat> to think really big. And I think, in, at least for me, my instinct mm. always is like, I've got to go do this thing that I've not been doing at all, right? Like mm -hmm. be connected to this new thing. Or what am I doing at the workplace that I already work at? Mm -hmm. This is true for me. I, if it, I have always made it a point at every place I've ever worked to seek someone out, to bring them coffee, to take them to lunch, to take them, as, as for me especially, and I know that this is different for everybody, especially mm -hmm. single women. That is just mm -hmm. something that I've naturally tried to make sure that I do. That is how I'm faithful with what God has actually placed in my hand. Mm -hmm. You don't have, when people, I, I think, because my students will often sit in my office and they'll be like, I just don't know what my purpose is. I'm like, Purpose isn't a place. Like the definition, this is communication. The definition mm. of the word purpose is the reason you do what you do. Mm. So I'm like, what do you mean? What is your purpose? You're in college. Go to class. Mm. That's your purpose. Go to class. And when you're in that class, pay attention to who's around you and start thinking, what if I'm here? What if God has put me here with a reason to mm. do what I'm doing? How do I fulfill that? And we do that, of course, mm -hmm. I believe, by spending time with God every single day and then asking him when we're in time with him alone, open my eyes that I may see what is already in my hand. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it just looks like for my students, seeing somebody who's sitting by themselves in the cafeteria and saying, hey, do you want some company? Is that okay? Right? Like, yeah, we can start really small. And I'm mm. telling you, those things will change your character little by little by little so that it doesn't become such a big leap for you to do something bigger. You've been mm. serving in small ways for many, many years. Mm. I like big things. Yeah, same. <laughs> but but there's, there's just a beauty and I think a, a truth that's found in the simplicity of loving people where you're at. And it reminds me of that verse when Paul says, like, just desire to live a quiet life. Mm. And it's, I don't know, I don't like that verse. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I really don't. Um, well, we're podcasting to who knows how many people. I know, right? Like, I, hey, you know, you just put it out there. I, I struggle, okay? But um, I'm like, Doing the antithetical, but but it, but there's truth to it, and and I really do want to comment too. I just feel like it needs to be highlighted. Just the beauty of of how often your responses in this episode have been begin with be in prayer, begin with, mm. and and it really is. I don't think that we can see people, whether they're family members or friends, whether we're talking about uh, mundane, you know, the newest Marvel movie or something really intense and controversial like the existence of God or. Um, understanding human sexuality or right. politics. And if we're not seeing that person through the lens in which the cre their creator sees them, 
Yes. And until we, and I struggle with this, like I, I am struggling, but I, but I want to keep growing and I want to encourage those listening to keep growing that like the most important, the only, I think, way to really treat someone with the honor that God desires us to treat them is by first um, seeking out the Lord, just like yeah. you're saying, and desiring to treat God in the way he wants to be treated by being worshiped and, and being in right uh, relationship with him and, and obeying him through our actions, um, in part our actions through to, to other people. Um, and I just, anyways, I just really appreciate the consistent coming back to that point. And I think if there's nothing else that people leave with, it's, you know, before that Christmas dinner to take time to worship the Lord and seek the Lord and to correct our own sinful spirits and say, no, like when I think of this person, I think about, uh, the elements of them that were created in the image of God, their, their, their sincerity, their, their love for me and, and so on and so forth. And I'm really grateful for that. Thank you. I want to, before we got on. Mm-hmm. Um, you had asked me if I had any prayer requests and I told you I'd been praying for, um, three years for certain things that I have not seen mm-hmm. any movement on. And I just want to say something that I started doing a year ago that has been very, I don't know I, I, if it's useful to anybody listening. Um, I don't just pray anymore in my home. I do do that. I have my worship. I, I try to read through my Bible cover to cover every single year. I read a quote by J.I. Oh, Packer. On level I'm not at. <laughs> I read a quote by <laughs> J.I. Packer that says Christians should read their Bible cover to cover every single year. I'm on my 14th time through. God bless so I, you. I read five chapters a day. And I this last time, I, it looked like I'm going to be done in like five months, which I don't know how that happened. I must have overread. But after I have worship, then what I do, and this is new. I've only been doing this for about one year. I go on a walk with the Lord. Like a mm. physical walk where mm. I walk and I just say out loud whatever it is I feel like God is doing or isn't doing in mm. my life. And then I just mm. go on. Sometimes I walk and I don't say anything at all. And I mm. say, let my feet be proof of my faith that I'm mm. still here and I'm still walking the block with you. Okay. This morning when I went, I almost cried because it's been three years I've been praying the same prayer over and over and not seeing anything. But the snow came down again. So it, I just told you before we got on the call, I said, yeah, there's like yeah. four inches. So I'm walking and I have my hood up with my fur on the hood and it's yeah. like four inches of snow. And there was just something felt so beautiful about walking in the snow with a God mm. who hasn't answered me. Mm. There's just something really beautiful about that, right? I, mm-hmm. I, to me, it's like, okay, I'm still mm-hmm. walking, even though it doesn't, I don't know what's happening. I don't know why there seems to be this yeah. walk. I know my posture has to be right because I'm still walking in the way of the lamb because mm. I'm still here. Even as it's cold, everything in me should be inside. Mm-hmm. But I'm still here. And so I just want to encourage somebody who's listening, if you feel stuck in your worship life right now, if, if you even can't read mm-hmm. your Bible, I had a friend whose child was diagnosed with a terminal disability. And she told imagine. me, she said, Heather, I can't, she's like, I can't, I, I'm not reading my Bible. I can't do that right now. And so what she ended up doing was she would sit in the room with the Bible in it. Mm. It almost makes me want to cry. Yeah. And it was just her way of saying, God, like I'm still in the room, right? I'm still in the room. Um, For me, that connection between the physical and the mental and the spiritual. Friend, if you have been doing the same thing, try getting outside and going on a walk and saying out loud to God the things that he has done and hasn't done. Mm -hmm. And just actually physically walk with him. And I'm telling you, I don't know what it is. But it's been the this has been mm. the worst year of my life circumstantially 
the best year of my life spiritually. Like I mm. have never been more certain that mm. God is with me, even though I can't see it, which is yeah. wild. But I've never been more certain. And so I just want to encourage people, try something. Even like I go, I make people go with me, get a friend and do a prayer walk with them, yeah. pray over each other. It is such a beautiful experience. Uh, and it's so beautiful because it's, it's, it's that part of our walk with Jesus in which we come to a point in which we choose the giver over the gift, in which we yes. choose Jesus over what he can give us. And it's what Job was ultimately, ultimately, you know, we, we think of Job as such a righteous man all through the book, and he is, but if you look at what he says, he, he has a lot of like really raw, yeah, totally. terrible doctrine that he's, you know, yeah. like, well, God just it, must not see me. Well, Job essentially is saying, I've lived a right life and you're not being fair because yes. you're not giving me what mm -hmm. I've deserved. How mm -hmm. many of us do that? All the time. And all God's, the time. God comes to him and answers his last prayer, which is like, yes. I just want to see God face him. I just want to talk to him. If I could just talk to him, I could, you know. And, and the Lord humbles him, but the Lord answers his prayer and doesn't seem angry at Job for being honest with him. Yeah. And I just, I just love that. And I have no idea even how we got here, but I think it's so important <laughs> to be here in this moment because, you know, when we're talking about, I know I keep coming back to it. This is the teacher in me to keep coming back to the topic at hand. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, uh, no. <laughs> but when we're bringing ourselves to that dinner room, uh, dinner table at the holidays, I think we forget that sometimes we're bringing ourselves and we're part of the conflict and we're part of the reason it goes wow, south. Wow, that's good. And it is that element of us that chooses to enter into worship with the Lord and allow the Lord to correct our spirits. And part of that process means we come to the Lord honestly. We don't, and I'm, I've been teaching a discipleship class for the last year, and we're ending the class talking about hearing from God. And part of that process is the the open confession, the the fact that like we just don't put any walls between us and the Lord. Like we yeah. allow who we are to come out fully, and we trust the Lord to respond like a father. And you know, I have four boys, and like, um, I don't know. I can't be mad at them when they're honest with me. It doesn't mean I can't mm. be disappointed. It doesn't mean I don't correct behavior. It doesn't mean I don't convict them for their behavior. You know what I mean? Like we, I have a I have a vision and a destination for them becoming men of God, and I'm going to push them in that direction because I love them. But I'm never like mad at them. At least when I'm on my best days, I'm not. I'm not mad at them for their genuineness and their honesty with me. And um, in fact, when they're most genuine and honest, it's easier to lead them. And I think there's that's something to be said for our own walk with Jesus too. Yes. I like you. It is so fun to talk oh, to you. Thank you, Phil. <laughs> I like you too. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you for the work you're doing. Um, we're gonna have links uh, you know, in the show notes to your current books, to your the podcast that you host as well. Yeah. But just end very briefly on your most recent work and why you're excited about it. Oh, the last book I wrote actually is, it has everything to do with our conversation right now. It's mm. called I'll See You Tomorrow. And mm. it's, I just think in our culture right now, I, I, for my students, there's a lot of, and, and I think it's important work. I'm not dismissing it, but I think there's a lot of conversation on boundaries mm. and a lot of conversation about knowing when to leave. And I think that's healthy conversations to have. But how do we also talk to people about how to stay? Mm. I, I worry that we're raising an entire generation to not know how to stay when somebody hurts your feelings. And if you're going to cut off every relationship that ever hurts your feelings, you're going to have zero relationships. Yeah. And, and the research is good on this. Most people don't have relationships, 
right? Mm -hmm. So I, I wrote, I'll see you tomorrow with my husband. Um, and it's about how to stay. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Living Room Disciple podcast today. I'm praying that my conversation with Dr. Day was as amazing for you as it was for me. I just felt like I was learning and growing so much as it relates to loving others. And I pray you feel the same way. Uh, during our conversation, we mentioned a few different books. You can get the links to Dr. Day's books in the show notes below. Also, she mentioned books, uh, Paul Behaving Badly by Dr. Randy Richards and uh, Revelation for the Rest of Us by... Uh, Dr. Scott McKnight. We have signed copies of those that we're going to be giving away or may have already. So make sure to follow us on social media for information on those giveaways. Huge shout out to Anissa Live for all the amazing production work that she does for this, to Eric Church for getting this podcast out to the world. And thank you to you for listening and for supporting. Please make sure to check us out at livingroomdisciple.com for more information about us and how to support us on Patreon. And thank you for joining us today on the Living Room Disciple podcast, where discipleship finds a home.